Question for you. Have you ever witnessed something that left you and everyone around you utterly astounded? Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about Trump's hair. <clears throat> Sorry, could, I just couldn't help myself. Uh, maybe I should throw myself under the bus. I mean, my hair is pretty awesome too. Our text begins this way. Acts chapter 3, if you have your Bible turned there, verse 11. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. You see, what was so utterly astounding in this situation was that the guy who was clinging to Peter and John was doing so standing on his own two feet. Here was a guy who was crippled from birth. God had just miraculously enabled him to go from being you know, only able to sit and beg for his next meal to walking and jumping, leaping and, and praising God. Utterly astounding. So another question, what do we do with that? that? That is the real question in our text today. What do we do with that? What do you do after your daughter gets hit by a car while walking from school to Tim Hortons during her grade 12 year on a, on a, a final exam break? She gets thrown through the air, hits a streetlight pole, lands on the ground behind the pole after her body twists around it, literally to the utter astonishment of every witness, and there were quite a few who saw this happen, to the police, to the first responders. It, what do you do when she gets up and walks, when they all thought she was dead or should have been? And, and the, this is a true story that happened to, to us, to our daughter in 2011. What do you do after you sit day after day, morning and evening for an entire week and you hear story after story of healings and other miracles, including a person raised from the dead at an international missionary retreat in Peru um, that I had the privilege of attending in 2009 at the invitation of MB Mission where all of our missionaries in South America and Central America, Latin America got together for a retreat, and there were testimonies of these utterly astounding events day after day, morning and evening, and I, my mouth was just open the whole time. What do you do with that? What do you do after your mom's life group prays for her healing, and she's not healed, but a first-time visitor to the group witnessing the love and the care shown to her commits his life to Christ? What do you do after your neighbor, the one that you thought would never respond to Christ, invites you to pray with him after receiving a terminal cancer diagnosis. And he ends up giving his life to Christ. What do you, what do, you do with that? What do, what do you do when you see a sunset like we saw last night or a sunrise like we saw this morning? It's beautiful on my way in today. What do we do with that? Well, we do with those things what Peter did in this situation, which is gonna be the focus of our, text, of, of our time today, as I give you a very practical um, uh, focus on, on bearing witness to these things. We, we do with those things what Peter did. We bear witness not to the wonders themselves, but to the God of wonders. 
You see, this miraculous sign and wonder in Acts 3 opened up a wonderful opportunity for Peter to direct it in the way that God intended. You see, God just doesn't give us signs and wonders for the sake of doing something cool. He always has a purpose. There's always a reason why he does what he does. And that reason is to reveal his glory and to wake people up to his ways, his purposes, and his salvation. In fact, several times in Scripture, Jesus refused to perform signs and wonders. He refused to do miracles because he knew that all that the people were after was the sign and not the giver of the sign. He said, I'm not going to do it. I read a story recently about a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, Wouldn't you love to have a name like that? So Smith Wigglesworth, born on June 8th, 1859, to an impoverished family in Yorkshire, England. As a small child, he worked in the fields pulling turnips alongside his mother. Smith was illiterate until the age of 23, when he married Polly, who taught him how to read. And he was often quoted as saying that the Bible was the only book that he ever read, ever. He was a plumber by trade, but he had to abandon his work after he became too busy with an amazing ministry of preaching and healing. There are even accounts of people being raised from the dead through his ministry. Yet, he said on one occasion, that he would rather see one person saved through his preaching than 10,000 healed. That's our focus today. This is what Peter did. He witnessed so that people could be saved. And this morning, I want to give you six elements or six ingredients, you could say, of a good and a faithful witness. It's going to be very practical for us today based on what Peter did with this miracle. The first thing I'm going to talk about is that we need to see and to seize the opportunity. Verse 12, next verse. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Two things. He saw it and he seized the opportunity to speak. Listen, challenge for you today. Don't squander an opportunity to talk about the Lord when that door opens. Go there. And, and I, I know it's scary, but the Lord will honor your faithfulness in those situations. Later on in his life, the same man, Peter, he wrote in his letter, he said, 1 Peter 3.15, but have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as Lord. Be ready, said Peter, at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have in you. Here we have an entire crowd of people rushing to, to Peter and to John in utter amazement, utterly astounded at what happened, and Peter seized the opportunity. He was prepared. He was ready. Are you? Am I? Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, he said, how can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? That's us. You know what's really great about this pandemic? People are, yeah, it's hard, it's difficult, but instead of looking at the glass half empty, why don't we look at it half full for a moment? The great thing about this pandemic is that it has actually provided more opportunity than ever before to witness. 
It really has. People have a lot of questions. It's a lot of struggle. And so from my devotions just yesterday, uh, this was written. Uh, Timing is amazing, really, because I think this devotional was written pre-COVID, but here it was yesterday and I read this. When disaster strikes, understanding of God is at risk, writes Eugene Peterson. There are times when we face the unexpected illness or death of someone we love, a national catastrophe, social disruption, personal loss, economic uncertainty, or the devastation of natural disasters. (laughs) Peterson continues, it is the task of the prophet to stand up at such moments of catastrophe and clarify who God is and how he acts. Wow. That's for us. Friends, this pandemic does not equal a problem. We gotta view it differently. This pandemic equals an opportunity. This pandemic is opening all kinds of doors that would otherwise be closed. A couple of weeks ago, I went to visit a new convert to Christ. Um, and, and my purpose was, because he's out of town a lot on, on business or for work, uh, I wanted to take an opportunity to not only get on my motorcycle, <laughs> which he always enjoys it when I roll up on the yard with a, when, on my bike, right? And so uh, I just wanted to chat and encourage him in his faith. It's sort of like a form of witness because he's so new to his faith. It's still being shaped, but it was really discipling and witnessing at the same time. So I showed up and it launched right away into a deep lament. A deep lament about the current state of affairs, not only the pandemic, but everything else that's going on. The riots, the protests, the violence, the destruction. And he's going on and on and, and he said, Eldon, the bottom line is that people are just so selfish. And the Lord just hit me on the side of the head and he said, bam, Ellen, open your mouth. (laughs) So I went to, like, as he's talking, my mind is going to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what it says. And as I read this to him, his eyes get wider, his mouth is open, he's leaning forward, listening. Paul said, uh, sorry, wrong passage here. 2 Timothy 3, he said, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, (laughs) lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, And that's in the church. That's in the church, (laughs) let alone all of those outside the church. And he's like, oh, wow, the word, the Bible actually says that? I'm like, yeah. But listen to what it also says later on. Paul is encouraging Timothy. He says, but you, be faithful. Be faithful to God and be faithful to his word which has made you wise unto salvation. And look how he closes this letter to his friend. He said, uh, chapter uh, four, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And I said to this guy, I said, man, listen, 
yeah, we're in the last days and there is times of great difficulty, but there's better times coming. God one day will restore all things and he will bring us safely into that kingdom. And that, is friend, friends, is what we need to proclaim to people. We need to seize the opportunity. I have heard this over and over again about how difficult things are and we gotta say, yeah, but there's better times coming. You put your faith and your hope in Jesus and we have something much better to look forward to. Amen? We need to go there. So earlier I referred to Smith Wigglesworth. Life for Smith was not always easy. He went through some very hard times and he wrote this. He said, great faith is a product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. No wonder the guy had an amazing preaching and healing ministry, right? He had the right perspective. Now, the greatest opportunity, I think, based on the greatest sign and the greatest wonder, the greatest miracle is that of a changed life. That means you, that means me, it means our testimony. When people see you, are they utterly astounded? We have to ask ourselves that question. The greatest, because the greatest miracle is the miracle of a changed heart, that God can take a dead heart, a heart of stone, and make it into a heart of flesh that's alive in the spirit is the greatest miracle ever, and we need to give witness and testimony to that, the sign and the wonder to point people to Jesus. And, and I want to encourage you in this. Don't ever say, don't ever say that my story is boring. If you're a believer in Jesus, you do not have a boring story. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I accepted Christ at the age of five. I was brought up in a Christian home. I never rebelled. You know, I didn't get into drugs or alcohol or any of that kind of stuff. And I go, friends, that is awesome. That, that is a great miracle in itself that you found Christ early, that he found you, and that you didn't wander. Do you know how many abused people, how many addicts, how many criminals long for a story like that? to be spared rather than to have to go through all of that and be delivered? I mean, that's a great story too. But your story is awesome. And I think what's even a greater sign and wonder to people around us that gives God so much glory and opens up huge opportunities for a faithful witness is not only our own salvation story, but our testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of deep struggle where we were not healed, where we were not delivered, and we were asked to be faithful through it. That speaks to people. So seize the opportunity. Secondly, we need to know our audience. I, I love, I love how Peter engaged this situation. He starts off this way speaking, Acts 3.12. Men of Israel. He knew his audience. You see, Jesus, when he talked to Peter and the last time he spoke to them, Acts 1.8, he said, you know what, guys, you're going to be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. Peter right now is in Jerusalem. So lo and behold, how does he start? Men of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, his servant Jesus. Three times in this passage he refers to Jesus as the servant who suffered. Where are these guys' minds going to go? Isaiah. He refers to uh, the holy and righteous one, which is used in the Old Testament many times. The author of life, he talks about the prophets six times. Six. He talks about Moses. 
Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. Peter knew his audience. He knew how to connect with them. He knew what would make their ears go up. I don't know if you're like a, a dog lover or not. We, we're, we have a dog at home. And whenever we say certain things, he'll cock his head and his ears go up. Sometimes just real quick, up and down. Got his attention. That's what Peter's doing here. I got something important to say, and they were listening. What's even, what's even uh, more interesting is where this happened, in Solomon's portico. Uh, other translations will say Solomon's colonnade. I did a little quick study on this. So the, the last time in Scripture Solomon's colonnade is mentioned is in John chapter 10, where Jesus attends the Feast of Dedication, which is um, Hanukkah. So Jesus is there. And so the men of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees, they go over to Jesus and said, look, just tell us plainly, are you, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we're supposed to be, you know, that we've been waiting for? And uh, Jesus said, you know what? I already told you that, but you didn't listen. And he said, what about the signs and the wonders that I've done, the miracles? Oh, you didn't listen to that either. You didn't didn't pay attention. So he said, forget it. I'm moving on. Peter, same spot, same audience, men of Israel, a sign, a wonder. This is all in Peter's mind. Isn't God good? Isn't he so gracious and so patient with people? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Seize the opportunity, know your audience, and third, do it with respect. Number three, show respect. Listen to how Peter talks to them. He says, men of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, Peter put himself in, he identified with them. He says, I'm the same. And later on when he confronts them about their sin, you think Peter knew a thing or two about sin? (laughs) And now brothers, you acted in ignorance. He's being so gracious. You were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant And again, later on, I already quoted the passage, but Peter says, you know, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Peter did that. Number four, here's the biggie, point to Christ. We cannot be a faithful and a good witness to the signs and the wonders that we see around us without talking about Jesus. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though, as though by our own power we, we have made him walk? No, no, no. The God of 
Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. God, 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 God. Oh, by the way, that's Jesus. It's all about Jesus from this point on. Peter talked about the prophets making the case that Jesus was the prophet that, you know, Moses, and greater than Moses that he, that he talked about. But Peter specifically talked about Jesus seven times. Seven. Point people to Christ. In this context, it was about the prophet and the suffering servant because that's what they would connect with. But listen, don't make your witness about the wonder. Make it about the God of wonders, specifically Jesus. I want to read another passage from you, for you, uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. So Paul said, Jews demand signs. This was the audience. They're always looking for the sign and the wonder that Jesus sometimes refused. I'm not going to do it. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jew and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look, take what people are looking for. The sign, the miracle, the wisdom and pointed to Christ. Christ is the power. Christ is the wisdom from God. That's what we need to talk about. So in sharing the gospel, there's a couple of things that are super important. Number one, we have to give people the bad news. Peter did not shy away from talking about sin. By the way, uh, he said, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Ignorance does not absolve us from responsibility. It doesn't. And he made that clear as well. He said, look, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his term Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. Ouch! <laughs> that hurts. It hurts to be confronted in your sin. It hurts. But it's necessary. And because without bad news, there's no good news, right? <laughs> and that's where he goes real quick. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong. You see, the gospel at its core has to include the fact that Jesus died and that Jesus was resurrected, that he came to life. It's at the core, and Peter went there. In my uh, devotions <laughs> a few days uh, prior, uh, it, it said this. Uh, the title was, The Key to Your Life. Madonna said, when I was growing up, Jesus Christ was like a movie star, my favorite idol of all. Napoleon Bonaparte said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Novelist H.G. Wells said, I am a historian, I am not a believer, but this penniless preacher from Galilee is irresistibly the center of history. Even people who would not describe themselves as followers of the penniless preacher recognize that there is something extraordinary about Jesus. 
No one, not even the angels, can compare to Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Everything you read and understand about God through the Bible needs to be read through the lens of Jesus. He is the ultimate revelation of God. Your key to getting your life sorted out is Jesus. Your key to understanding your Bible is Jesus. Your key to understanding God's character is Jesus. Your key to life is Jesus. So earlier in Acts, when Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 people were saved, it followed on the heels of a great sign and wonder. People were speaking in other languages. And everyone was amazed. What is this? Peter gets up and he starts quoting the prophet Joel. And, Peter's, and Peter said, I will show wonders and signs wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And, it, and then he talks about what all those wonders and signs are and will be. And at the end, it says this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He went very quick from the signs and the wonders to Jesus. God testified to what Jesus had done, this great salvation by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for those other than the apostles, surely signs, wonders, and miracles are also. And we should still expect them today to accompany the preaching of the message of Jesus and his great salvation. And number five, in being a good witness, we have to then make an appeal. Peter said, repent. Repent, therefore, and turn back. You were on this trajectory, opposition to God, doing your own thing. Now, after hearing the message and being confronted with your sin and hearing about who Jesus is and what he did for you, you need to turn around. You see, our job is not to make a convert. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to faithfully declare Christ and call people to repentance. And when people turn, God will convert them and lives are changed. And then we begin to disciple them. And number six, this is so important. Conclude with hope. Conclude with hope. Oh, how people need hope. We need to offer so much hope, especially in these times. The hope that through Christ there is forgiveness. The hope that in Christ times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. When you turn your life over to Jesus, you will be refreshed like you have not experienced before. That when we receive Christ, he indwells us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Listen, People need to know these days that to be a Christian means that there is no isolation. It's a, it's a huge message. Peter says it. The hope that one day all things will be restored, that Jesus will speak to us and he will guide us when we listen to him and that we will be blessed. That's what Peter says, you will be blessed. Does it get any better than that, friends? what we need to tell people.
In the letter to Philemon, Paul prays that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith. It's interesting to note that Paul thinks that this is the way that Philemon will receive, I'm quoting verse six, a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. When we are an active witness for Jesus, all of a sudden we come to realize that all of these blessings that we are talking about truly are ours. And it transforms our hearts and it makes us into an even more faithful witness and those people who receive Christ will begin to understand their blessings and become active in sharing their faith. Then Paul goes on to say to Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you have refreshed the heart of the saints. And then he asked Philemon to refresh his heart, Paul's heart, in Christ by yet another act of love. In verse 20, to take back a runaway rebellious slave, Onesimus, but not to take him back as a slave, but as a friend. Take him into your house as a friend, as a full member of the family. His whole appeal to Philemon to be active in sharing his faith, to have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ was through a tangible act of taking back a slave on the basis of love, on the basis of what Christ did for us. Friends, you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. You have been invited into the household of God as a friend. And we make ourselves slaves to his ways and his purposes, and that is to be a faithful and good witness for Jesus. Let's pray. I'm gonna pray um, the words of A.W. Tozer this morning, and as I do so, why don't you just personalize this for yourself? Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace, and I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Oh God, when we see the evidence of Christ within us, when people see that, when people see the sign and the wonder of a changed life lived with love for one another, when they see and hear the difference that Christ makes, may they be utterly astounded, resulting in many wonderful opportunities to give witness to your goodness and your grace. Help us, Lord, to that end. For I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.